let's open up to James chapter 4. As today we're going to talk about a lot of things. Um, one of the things that we got to realize in life is that it is a, a battle, you know. Um, we're going to talk about the fact that we have three enemies. And these enemies want to not only bring defeat to you, but they want to bring death. You know, the other day I was watching the Dodgers and the Giants, and I was just kind of raised a Dodger fan, so I was rooting for them. They ended up losing two out of three games, and so I was kind of bummed about that. Um, but not like I used to before I was a Christian. I would be all depressed. Now I'm just like, oh, man, I wish they would have won, you know? And so the thing about it is that's just a game. It's just a game where you see this thing called defeat. But this is your life. This is your life. And we have enemies that want to defeat us. We have enemies that want to bring death to us. They are giants in one sense. And so we need to know who our enemies are and how to have victory. Because I want you, more importantly, God wants you to win, to win in life. And so we see that in James. You guys tell me, what are your three enemies? You guys know what your three enemies are. I know a lot of you do, but some of you might not. You need to know who your three enemies are. Number one, the fallen flesh. Number two, the fallen world. And then number three, the fallen angels. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world. The Bible talks about that. And it's through this that we're born into sin. We're born with a depraved nature. We have this fallen flesh. It will be with us until the day we die. It will always be there. That old man, that old woman, that fallen nature, that inclination to sin will always be there in us until we're home in glory. So that's number one enemy, me. I'm the number one enemy. I have lust in me. I have covetousness in me. I have these ugly things in me. Number one enemy is me. Number two enemy is the fallen world. First John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the devil is a liar. And you listen to the headlines and you listen to the, the media and you listen to the, the way they're cranking up the volume and putting out stuff and you know, certain ways in Hollywood and you name it, that the, the world is under the sway, the biblical, unbiblical, immoral values. That's the world that we live in. That's our enemy. And then number three, of course, is, is the devil. We're going to see that today. And we're going to see today that uh, the victory is really going to be found in, number one, making it our aim to please God. Number two, learning and, and living the word of God, the Bible, this thing right here. I pray that you read it and you heed it. What, what's, what else? What are you doing that's better than that? What are you doing that's playing games? Playing, what are we doing that's better than that? We should be reading this over and over and over again. We should be, I personally, I mean, you're like, well, it's a big book. I'll tell you what, the, this word of God is the truth that sets you free. I want to encourage you, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, it probably takes about 20 minutes a day to read through the whole Bible in a year. The learning to please God, learning the word of God, and then learning to submit to God, you know, to, to draw near to him. Like Laura was saying today, we're going to see that in our study. You know, you really want to 
stay close. And so look what we read here in James 4. He says in verse 1, Where do wars and, and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that, that war in your members? There it is. You might want to underline that. In your members. It's in your body. You know, you, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. There's that word again, pleasures. Pleasing me. Not talking about Disneyland, not talking about having a good time, not talking about a pleasure cruise. Living to please me, this fallen man. That that's where those wars and fights and arguments and strife and conflicts and division, that's where they all come from. And James asks the question and then reveals the answer that the ultimate source is me. World War III will begin with World War me. The wars and fights uh, around us and among us are because of the war that's going on within us. You know, the global thing, the national thing, the personal thing, it comes from my desires for pleasure, my desires to please me. Imagine if I shifted everything. Imagine if I just said from this point forward, I just, I simply, my focus is only to please God. It changes everything. But the, the desire to please me is unfortunately the warped, wretched, wretched man that I am. And so James just wants us to know, hey, just in case you guys were wondering about the source of that stuff, it's the flesh. There's a war going on. Did you guys know that within us? Romans 7, 22 through 24, it says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's the good you, right? That He likes the word. He likes the ways of God. But I see another law in my members. There's it is, in my members. It's in me. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, the sin which is in my members. It's in me. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So this body of death, this fallen nature, they call it depravity. It wants to do the things that are contrary to God. And that's what causes, in case you're here today, and sometimes we see it. I've been getting a lot of phone calls, even though I've been on vacation. A lot of marriages are struggling. Why are you guys fighting? Why do you fight so much? Oh, it's her. Oh, it's him. No, it's, it's within us. That's what James is saying. It's all rooted in an interest and in an obsession to please ourselves because that's who we are. And we want to get things. You know, it says right here we lust and we covet. Some even murder to get things. And it's interesting what James says here, but they don't really get it. You know, you might lust through pornography. You might lust and seeing some girl, and you get the girl, but you don't get love. You might murder for money. You might murder, for, and you get the big bank account, whatever it might be, but you don't get what God can give, like peace and satisfaction and contentment. See, he's talking about how we lust and, and we covet. We might even murder, but we don't really get what we, we need. We don't really get what 
God wants us to have. You know, you might even catch that position of power, triumph, that trophy. You might win the war, so to speak, but lose everything that really matters in your life. See, there's a lot of factors involved, and that's why James brings in this whole thing about prayer. Look what he says again in verse 2. Yet you do not have, you do not have what? You do not have what God wants you to have. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Imagine, you know, living your life and God said, I wanted to give you this, and I wanted to bless you like that, and I wanted to do all these different things in your life, but you never learned to pray. We did all the other stuff. We're watching a million hours of television. We are on this phone for days. They say that by the time you die, you'll have spent 14 years on your phone. Imagine that. You got time for that. But the big question is, is do we have time to pray? And I'm not talking about the lackadaisical, you know, flippant prayers here every once in a while. Yeah, God is a God of constant fellowship. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about like on your face, on your knees. Jesus would go and wake up early in the morning and before the sun would rise, before other people could bother him. Not that they were a bother, but man, he wanted uninterrupted fellowship with his father. So he prayed. And so James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes you do ask, but you don't get because you're going back to this selfish desire for yourself. This is why you're asking for that, because you just want to do this for yourself. Believe it or not, sometimes our prayers even can be selfish. So, Lord, you know, there's this part of me that is fallen, that's with me all the time, and I just want to make me happy, and I just want to live in the good comfort zone. And so I fight, and I kick, and I covet, and I lust, and I war, and I punch, and I do all these things, and I'm getting stuff, but then the Lord says, but you're not really getting what I wanted you to get. You need to learn to pray. You need to learn to pray and ask God. You know, I'm reminded of that story of this daughter of um, Caleb. Caleb is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And um, his daughter was an amazing gal too. And it's kind of cool because when she got married, she she asked her husband to ask her dad if um, he would uh, ask for these springs of water. You know how valuable they are, right? Springs of water. Now we turn on the faucet, we got water. Back then it wasn't like that. And so uh, she asked her husband to ask her dad, Caleb, and, and she, he asked, and Caleb said, sure. Uh, uh, what do you wish? And, and she answered, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. I like that. It says that in Joshua 15, 17 through 19. And so the Bible says he gave her the upper springs and lower springs. What if she wouldn't have asked? What if she wouldn't have prayed? What if she didn't ask and she wouldn't have got it, but she asked? She asked and she got so blessed. That's the power of prayer. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. You know, Henry's really good at getting deals for us. 
You know, we make a purchase and they'll call them up and they'll say, hey, you know what, can you give me 10% off? Or hey, can you throw in one of those things, the free items and stuff? I never do that. I don't know why. I'm just not good at that, right? And so they'll be like, yeah, sure, okay, 10% off and this and that. And I'm like, man, how'd you get that? He said, I just asked. <laughs> I mean, sometimes God is just up there being like, I know you're having a good time and I love you like you don't even begin to imagine. But if you would cultivate a prayer life, do you realize how much more you'd be blessed? And and then as you're praying, you're not just praying to get what you want. You realize really the value of prayer is to get what God wants for you. He knows what's best for you. And so you're praying, and it's kind of like a boat that's going to the dock, and you know, you throw the rope or whatever. You got some guy on the land, he grabs the rope and he, he wraps it around, and then you're pulling the boat closer to the land. You're not pulling the land closer to you. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is not me getting what I want, prayer is me getting what God wants. And James, here, as he talks about this, it's just so beautiful to see. Today, we learn that we can have victory over our enemies. Number one, the fallen flesh is with us all the time. There's a war going on, so there's a war going on outside. And so we need to make it our aim to please God. I just want to please God, and part of the way that I'm going to do that is by praying. Number two, we see the fallen world that we live in. Look what we see in verse 4. James, he doesn't pull, hold back any punches. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. And I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has an exclamation point. You know? <laughs> Do you not know, you should know this, that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Is that a big thing? For those of you out there who might be Friends with the world? Do you, does that a big thing? Does that concern you to say that now God sees you as an enemy of God? And you're like, well, what does it mean to be friends with the world? Um, you know, I, I know that as a pastor, I don't want you to be legalistic. I don't want you to be Pharisees. I don't want you to be people who only associate with Christians. Some people are like that. Well, I need the Christian blue pages and a Christian plumber and Christian gardener, Christian everything, you know, and all your clothes are Christian and you name it, nothing. If that's your personal conviction, that's fine. Don't get me wrong, but we can't live in a cubbyhole. We are to be lights in the world, salt in the earth. Jesus said you're in the world in John 17. You got to be in the world. We can't be monks. You got to be in the world. You have to have friends, I think, even that are unsaved. God will show you. Not best friends, but you should have associates. You should be reaching out to people. But, But there's a difference between loving the people of the world and loving the ways of the world and buying all the lies of the world, hook, line, and sinker. And you think that you can be a friend with the world and follow the world and follow Jesus at the same time. Remember, being a Christian is pretty simple. Jesus said, follow me. 
And so we walk like he walks, and we do what he asks of us. He leads us in various places, and we get to walk with him. So following him is really a good summary of what a Christian is, but the world wants you to follow them. And, and James here is talking about our enemies, and he said, number one, you got the flesh within your members, and number two, you, just in case you didn't know, the, friend, the world is not friendly to Jesus. They want to eradicate him. They don't want his influence. They don't want his name. They will slander his name. And you want to you straddle the fence? You want to be both? James says, no, that, that actually means that you're an enemy. You're making yourself an enemy of God. You know, James here calls them adulterers and adulteresses. That's pretty heavy when you think about it. Some of you here, my heart goes out to you because you know the pain. You know the pain of what it is when your spouse went out. You, as a, as a wife, had a husband that you stood before God and you made vows to God and, and, and he went out and he slept with some other woman. You know the pain of that. Or the husband whose wife was unfaithful and she went and she was loving, living, whatever, that life with some other man? James here, he doesn't, you know, water it down. He says, adulterers, adulteresses. And so we, man, we need to be so careful with this. As I mentioned earlier, it is important for us to know that you know, just in case you're like you're out there and you're you know, got your head in the sand and you're thinking, well, the world, you know, they're not too bad. No, they're under the sway of the wicked one. First John five nineteen. That's why First John two fifteen says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him." Who are you following? Well, I'm following that guy on Instagram because man, homeboy got you know, 75 million followers, and I just, you know, I follow him, and he influences you. And sure, that girl over there and this YouTube channel, you know, gazillion subscribers, it seems to be trendy, you know? You don't realize it, that they're, they're shaping your, your mind. I, I, again, I don't want to be a legalistic pastor. We all have our personal convictions here. I don't want to be up here and saying, hey, you can never listen to non-Christian music. Maybe there are songs that you, you, know, you like that are clean. Nothing wrong with that. But I tell you what, uh, the other day, for the first time in my life, I listened to a song by Drake. It's a, I guess it's a new song. I don't know who he is. And I'm like, hey, this guy's really famous and stuff. And I was like, man, this is pollution. This is garbage. This is lies. This is horrible. And so you're going to listen to Drake and listen to Jesus. Good music. Uh, I tell you what, and again, I'm not saying that all secular music is bad. That's between you and the Lord, and every single song needs to be judged and measured by the Bible, right? But what I'm trying to say is that you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're listening to music, which is so powerful, and we heard it today on the drums and the bass, and boom, it's coming at you. What about the words? Because I've learned, and I, and I listen to 
you know, non-Christian music sometimes when I'm working out, but that only lasts for like a, a day from a month and then maybe another day and then a month goes by because it's, it's just there's such a radical difference, such a radical difference when you have music with a message about God. To me, there is. So James here is saying, this is heavy stuff, wars, you know, fights, conflicts, strife, you and your spouse, you and whoever it might be. That, that, that war on the outside is because there's a war on the inside. You need to learn, we need to learn to please God. And in this whole world that, that we live in under the sway of the wicked one, just, man, so many lies are contrary to Scripture. Don't think that you can be friends with both because you can't. Romans 12, 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, through the media and through all the the microphones the world has, they are forming you, they are conforming you into their image. They're molding your mind. So for us, when we're transformed, the word is metamorphosis in the Greek, from the inside out, it happens by the word of God. And that's why I want to encourage you to, to read this Bible, to read it and heed it and love it and learn it, to live it. I mean, you may, I, I don't, prayer and the word, a lot of times it's the same thing, like your flesh doesn't want to do it, your flesh doesn't want to take a half an hour and go pray. Your flesh would rather do other things than open up the Bible and read it. But then when you start and you just do it, you don't want to leave. That's how we're going to defeat the flesh. That's how we're going to defeat the, the world. And then, you know, here we read about how God is a... It's a jealous God. Look at verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? You know, God, he's jealous for you. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be with someone else. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where your girlfriend or boyfriend was with someone else. It's horrible. Some jealousy is very good. And so the Lord says, and if that's you and you've been struggling with these things, that not winning over me or not winning over the lies of the world, listen, if you just humble yourself, tell you what, right here, right now, in this place, you can experience God. I will give you grace. I will forgive your sins. I will bless your life. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. All you have to do, he says right here, look at it says in verse 5, therefore he says, God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Those of you guys watching football, whenever you see the running back stiff-arming the defender, that's what that says right there. God resists the proud. I don't need you. I don't really need to do this. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to know that kind of stuff. I don't need to go to church. And God just says, listen, humble yourself. If you humble yourself, then you realize the grace of God. You know, he goes on and he talks next in verse 7 about how if we submit to God, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Think about that. The devil on his, 
on the run, tail between his legs. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, the way that we can resist the devil, and what ends up happening, you guys, just in case you didn't know, the devil's a real person. He's a fallen angel, and so are all his demons, and they whisper lies into your mind, and they'll kind of like work with the desires of your flesh, and they'll work through the lies of the world, and the devil will come in, and, and he'll tempt you. And so how do you defeat him? He says, you know, submit to God. Draw near to God. And if you do that, if you submit and draw near to God, then the devil will actually flee from you. You know, what we find is that the devil, in one sense, gets punished when we obey the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 6, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let me ask you a question today. Are you resisting the devil or resisting the Lord? What has God been speaking to you? I know for me, I have to ask that question in all honesty because sometimes I find myself, you know, convicted of my failures, convicted of the way that I should be doing things different or better. You know, and and so we have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if he's told you once and then again 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 and then it's 27,000 times and you're still not doing it, You're resisting God. And so what he's saying is, you know, resist the devil, submit to God, draw near to God. And to me, that's so cool that we can even do that. Draw near to God. You know, having COVID with my my wife and my son, it was kind of cool. And you're like, Manny, I didn't want her to get it. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want her to get it because there's that protective part of you. Um, now, the verdict is still out on whether she gave it to me or I gave it to her, to be honest. So I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Anyways, you know, like, um, you, you know, you're, you're, when you have COVID as a couple, it's kind of cool. We even had some friends call us, hey, can we come over? give you a big kiss and get sick and they want to develop the natural immunities and all that kind of stuff, you know, because I think it's actually better than the vaccine. So um, anyways, um, so we ended up getting it together and we kind of got to hang out. You know, at first it was just me and then she was like, you go over there and I go over here, which is fine, you know, but then you got it too. Okay, come over here. And then we were just, you know, COVID buddies for a couple of days and it was really cool because first couple of days she took care of me. After that, like for the next 27 days, I took care of her. And so, (laughs) and it was a blessing. It was a blessing. But I will say this, that just because you're with somebody in their presence or physical presence doesn't mean you're really with them. Doesn't really mean you're with them. You could be watching television. You're not really with them. You could be on your phone. You're not really with them. You could be in the same room, but you're not near them. And I learned that, and the Lord just made that. This is one of the lessons, Mio, that I have for you 
during this season right here is there is a difference between being with someone physically and close to them and living in God's omnipresence and just the, the connection that you can really have with your, your creator because I could be there. And then when, when I put the phone down and then there's something that's like a shift that takes place in your mind or in your heart and then you just look at her. You look to God. Now you're drawing near. And a lot of times I don't think Christians really do that. I don't think husbands or wives a lot of times really do that. But now I can see just everything, beautiful hair, eyes, or smile. You begin to talk and you find out what the needs really are. They're very complex. You can't figure women out. Don't get me wrong, guys, but at least you begin to have a little clue. He says, if you draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. And you're like, well, wait a minute, time out. I thought God was omnipresent. I thought God was everywhere. I thought Psalm 139 says you can never escape his presence. Right, you know, but we're not talking about just the omnipresence or the physical geography thing. We're talking about heart to heart. We're talking about eyes to, to eyes. You know, earlier I was thinking about that quote by Spurgeon. He said that God gave you eyes to see, but rarely do you look at him. God gave you a mind to think, but rarely do you use the mind that God gave you to think to think about him. God gave you a, a life to live and a heart to beat, but rarely do we see Christians who have given their whole life, their heart to God, who gave it to them. And this is why this is not just a statement, it's a promise that if you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. And let me tell you something. That is a, a different life. He talks about lamenting and mourning and weeping and all those kind of things. And that's, you're like, wait a minute, I thought God wanted me to have a good time. Yeah, he does. But when it comes to sin, we have to weep over our sin. We have to be so deeply convicted that we change. And the way that that happens is you get into the presence of God. And as you humble yourself, it says in verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, you humble yourself. You're like, Lord, I need you. Then he does this amazing work. I, I just thank God that we have a church that, you know, first service was almost full. It was amazing how many people here. Second service, see you guys here. So cool. You know, but one thing the Lord showed me too, when you're going to church and you're listening to a million Bible studies on YouTube and all the kind of stuff that is going on out there, make sure that that pastor is teaching you the Bible. Because a lot of pastors are not. They're spending, you know, 27 minutes, yeah, open up your Bible here, but when are you going to start teaching it? They talk about other things for 30 minutes, and then for the last 10 minutes, they say, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to get to the whole study today, but, you know, we talked about the other things. No, when you, when you are called to be a pastor, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Make sure I always do this. 
if I don't, if I don't like say, okay, open up here and then, and then teach you these things that I told you to open up to, tell me. And don't put up with it. If you go and you can like, we might not always be at Carrie Chapel Almighty. You might, God might lead you guys and you're watching videos and different things. Don't put up with it. That's not what the church is supposed to be. For us, as we're, we're learning the word, the word of God, because we live in a land of so many lies, we want the truth. My prayer, you guys, is that we would have this in our heart to please God, to know the word of God and submit and yield to God. And as we humble ourselves, it's so cool. You watch, God is going to bless you. Let me close with one last quote by F.B. Meyer. He said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. But I now find that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other and that it is not a question of growing taller but of stooping lower. And that's what we need to do. If you humble yourself, if we humble ourselves, I realize that without him I can do nothing. I realize that I'm not worthy of anything but hell. Then humble ourselves.